0: Moonlight, moonlight, the oh, moonlight. Listen to the
1: crown! You know, once you once you get past that, I think I beat BG three or four times over the years. I, I think I beat every team on the circuit pretty much at this point now. Uh, the guys just knocked off stuff after again. Like once you get that confidence, and you start building, the group was getting confident. There was no one that was going to really well. It's just one of those games that anything can happen if it's not a certain amount of time. Like, you know, we felt like every game we were going in, we had a good chance of taking it down and actually performing, walking away. I think
2: it was Sterling Richmond that had the game
0: when he'd try. And Dallin, you'd be thrilled because he was also wearing gloves when he scored the try.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> He's never going to let this down. Oh, <laughs> Hi,
1: I'm John Moonlight.
3: Hi, I'm David Moonlight. Welcome to the Rugby Hive.
2: Hello and welcome to the Rugby Hive. I'm Dallin Stanford, and despite my South African accent, I was fortunate enough to play rugby for the United States on the Sevens World Series.
0: And I'm Robin McDool, a former Canadian Sevens International. Back in my playing days, I went head to head against Dallin
2: in the USA. For several years, Robin has coached international Sevens for various countries, including Canada and Mexico. He's massively passionate about growing the game across the Americas through his McDool rugby programs at all levels. I'm currently commentator for World Rugby, most recently broadcasting the Rugby World Cup in Japan, as well as the amazing Sevens World Series. More than a decade later, we are teaming up to bring you insights from legendary players and coaches from around the world. All legends have a story. The Rugby Hive podcast is here to share it. Welcome to the Hive. It's season two, episode 26 of the Rugby Hive podcast. We're as dangerous as a sneeze in 2021. The world has returned. We've been waiting for this for a long time. We're back to some of the glory days. We've been very busy, of course. Life has got exciting. Lots of traveling, lots of things on the crack. And this episode with two Canadian legends, John and Dave Moonlight, recorded a while ago in 2020. And Robin, these sensations, they've obviously run you over countless times. Tell us briefly why you wanted these two quachas on the hive. Well, they're, they're about as Canadian as it
0: gets on and off the field. A couple of Ontario beauties, uh, David, obviously the older cousin uh, that came through the Canadian seven system first, uh, went on to captain Canada. He was actually my captain. So I played my entire international career with him as well as we played at university together. But really what, uh, what I took away from this podcast is just how close and how impactful David was on his younger cousin, John moonlight. John was twice the size of Dave, but just as fast, just about, but, uh, yeah, the the thing that really impressed me with the moonlights and and when I went onto the field my first game when I debuted against the All Blacks in Dubai is looking at my captain, he was fearless and he he imposed this this level of confidence that we could beat anybody and dave was part of the first ever canadian team that upset fiji i think it was in 2004 2005 and then later on john was part of some many historical wins but uh upsetting new zealand the all blacks for the first time in 2015 in japan and what was really impactful about that down since that time i don't have the stats you're the stats guy but i believe that canada's beat new zealand almost 50 percent of the time since since that time and uh and then ultimately john was uh was was part of lifting that trophy in 2017 before he retired so just all in all just a historical uh canadian legends
2: yeah i recall playing against them it was when they were playing it was it was really tough to obviously bring them down and tackle them and stuff like that um but uh, that's legendary pal and yeah, we'll have to look up that stat against New Zealand. I think when the Moonites were playing, that was probably a good stat. Right now, it's uh, it's the Kiwis dominating. We'll see how they go, obviously, uh, in the Olympic Games. Paul, let's quickly switch across to what's currently on the go, what's been happening uh, on your side and my side. I'll kick off first busy which is really cool lots of traveling they're going to austin texas and indianapolis wherever whatever state that is in to do some remote games for major league rugby lots of prep but it's been thrilling super fun get to throw in the one-liners here and there get to see some of our canadian guys in action some of obviously our american legends as well going head-to-head which has been brilliant i feel for the gasparino who's been supporting the toronto arrows faithfully they've had a bit of a mixed bag sometimes going down like a homesick mole and then um the Eastern Conference Championship and their Western Conference Championship. Those are going to be thrilling games coming up uh, later in July. You know, and then outside of that, Rob's the other thing is I've been doing a lot of work, remote work with the Free Jacks, of course, just interviews and things like that with the players and coaches. But well, because of re- restrictions being eased here, particularly in Massachusetts, I'll be able to go in person, have some fun with them and be able to, you know, put a couple of goose steps on, get smashed by some of the forwards and give out a couple of haircuts. I think that's going to be the most important. Get Verity Explains out there, shredding them them as well, you know?
0: Well, we'll make sure the World Rugby Shop sends you some fresh gloves for that appearance.
2: <laughs> oh, come on. Come <laughs> on. All right, Busy B, what, what's been cracking on your neck of the woods? Uh, just busy uh, with lots of
0: projects, uh, currently looking for an assistant coach in Canada here to join the MacDool Rugby Island Academy, so just getting fired up with uh, with recruits for this fall, and then obviously my Prairie Academy that's going on in uh, in Saskatchewan, and, and me and the misses are headed headed that way, got my Spurs packed, so I'm going to be doing some brandings, getting back on some horses, so looking forward to some downtime with family and friends.
2: Oh, that's that's brilliant, pal. Listen, we need to get you a high chair as well. I know you're really short, but you're really coming off lower on the screen.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'll sit on a book next week.
2: Then I want to thank all our listeners and supporters of the Rugby Hive. It's been a tremendous 2021, tons of engagement, lots of exciting news we've been releasing. The Rugby Hive is brought to you by Wintergreen. And Wintergreen, who are the legends you ask? Well, Wintergreen, their mission philosophy is to support USA Rugby's mission of uniting an inclusive and passionate rugby community and grow the sport in America. And of course, beyond in North America too, you know. So Wintergreen is synonymous with rugby in South Africa. They've been using as a pre-game, post-game, warm-up for decades. And now, of course, they're here in in the US. And of course, we'll get some through to you in Canada as well. So folks can visit wintergreensport.com. And they're a proud partner of Magic Rugby as well, and our title partner here at the Rugby Hive. Our clothing store has been going bonkers as well. Uh, we're stronger than the smell of a tuna sandwich. You can click on World Rugby Shop, type in Rugby Hive in the search bar. And Worshka, 46 items inspired at your fingertips. We don't have any gloves, but we've got a ton of other brilliant things uh, your way. And uh, so many, so many great thanks to, to the legends on that side.
0: Yeah, I just want to give a shout out to our our brilliant writer, Karen Gasparino. The Gaz, as Dal likes to say, she carved up a a great story on David Ibanez, and uh, that story's caught some steam. Hey, Dal?
2: Oh, it certainly has. The Maccabee legend, gold, gold medal winning champion and breaking barriers. Um, he's been on the Major League Rugby All Access show and the Gaz Monster General has been superb. Just scouting these brilliant stories, connecting with the rugby players and bringing, bringing it to life really and sharing it with a huge audience. Um, she is one of our favorites, the Gaz, and of course, brilliant guests she gets on
0: each week. A couple of months ago, she did a story on, on young Lockie Kratz, a, a Canadian young international athlete that uh, you know bought his plane ticket to to New Orleans, a one way ticket to hopefully get signed. Got signed after halfway through his second practice, and was on the uh, replacement roster. Guy got injured, uh, he got the start and and made the M L R uh, uh, first fifteen that week, and now he's he's booked himself a ticket to to play in Twickenham and, and in Cardiff uh later next month he's gone from literally the university of victoria straight to the show and uh gaz was three steps
2: ahead of all that she was amazing i'd never heard of the, the old lock Kratz monster general uh until you guys mentioned him and then he just started carving it up and and in the canadian squad so that that's really great to see i look forward to see who else she uncovers coming up soon
0: yeah and lastly our uh our canadian sponsor gilbert rugby canada exciting news our gilbert Rugby Hive custom balls uh, will be in the marketplace in the next month here. So stay tuned
2: for that. Can't wait, Robin, that is brilliant. You had a hand in crafting that. Then we want to thank, of course, our partners and our family and friends for all the support and the Rugby Network. They've been brilliant to get us in the eyes of North American fans. The RugbyNetwork.com is where you can get it. We're not as elusive as Homer Simpson's dietitian. You can catch us on the socials at Rugby Hive on Twitter and Facebook, at MyRugbyHive on Instagram, and our website, RugbyHive.com. Time now for Season 2, Episode 26. uh,
0: We're thrilled to have both the Moonlight ex-Canadian 7s and 15s internationals, but uh, they're both cousins that ended up captaining uh, Canada. So uh, I just thrilled to have you both on and and uh as i told dave and john this is this is an idea that that came to me as far as uh, the story that would later unfold which it did in many aspects is john following in dave's uh footsteps but i remember uh, john coming to his first uh sevens camp and I was glad I was on my way out with athletes like him on his way in. I knew I knew we had proper athletes in the future and big, fast, strong, powerful, and uh, just a great uh, Canadian kid
2: at the time. So uh, welcome to the Rugby High boys. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having us. Dave, let's let's start with you. Can you give us a bit of insight into your hometown, your home club, and, and what sports you grew up playing?
3: Yeah, for sure. Uh, I grew up in Whitby, Ontario, a little small town. Um, more of a hockey lacrosse uh, town than anything really. But I grew up playing hockey. I was just a house league hockey player, but played uh, hockey and uh, basketball, volleyball, you know, baseball, uh, basically played everything and uh, didn't didn't start playing. Like like a lot of kids in Ontario, you don't start really playing rugby till you get to high school. So I started playing rugby when I got to got to high school in grade nine.
1: And, John, your your sports growing up? Yeah, no, I played um, everything you can think of that was at high school. I did a bit of track stuff, uh, football. Uh, I was into hockey for a while. Never really that good at basketball, I'm sure Dave can remember, but uh, good at volleyball, all that kind of stuff. uh, I pretty much played everything I could. Uh, growing up and grew up in Pickering, so not too
3: far from Whitby. John was definitely—he was a good hockey player. Like uh, I remember, you know, obviously being older than him, we would be, uh, you know, going over. He'd be coming to my house, or I'd be coming to his house for family stuff, and we'd be down shooting pucks in, in our basements, right? Like that was the kind of stuff we did. But I certainly, you know, w- once he started getting bigger, he was—he uh, was a big unit
2: on the, in, in hockey for sure. And how did you, Dave? How did you first find rugby? Because you were the first one in uh, in your family, right? Yeah, actually, um, I was, I, I think I was
3: m- way more interested in basketball for sure. I was sort of think basketball was, was it, you know, I, I played, spent a ton of time playing basketball. Um, my brother was all over me about playing rugby. He played, he was two years older than me. And as soon as he started playing rugby, he started just bugging me. You got to play, you got to play, you got to play. And, um, I was like not too interested in uh, got to grade nine. He sort of bugged me to come out. Come out, So I came out to a couple practices. I was ready to quit. I was like, nah, this isn't for me. I'd rather be playing basketball. Um, and he's like, just play one game and, and see how it goes. And I played my first game. And I was like, wow, this is this is awesome. I, and sort
2: of instantly fell in love with the game and just kind of went from there. You credit your brother, which is brilliant. And John, who do you credit for finding the game?
1: Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm sure you guys have seen it out there. But the, the only reason I asked you for the game as well was because of Dave. Kind of the same thing. He gave me the, you should go out, you should go out, you should try it, and kind of questioned it, questioned it, and then I uh, finally went out and obviously fell in love with the game. Remember the first practice, uh, I looked up all the positions and what positions guys played. I knew I wanted to be a flanker going out them and had me run around with the backs and that. and Immediately I told him like, no, 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 i got to be here. This is what I want to do. And, uh, yeah, so that's how I, I kind of started. Uh, same thing, grade nine. Dave basically convinced me. and That was, uh, I think you were were you at West by then? Probably you were have been at West by, at that point.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think yeah. so, yeah. 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 So if it wasn't for, Dave, you got to give your brother a shout out right now because if it wasn't for him, there wouldn't be cousins. Two, 200 sorry, cousins. cousins, sorry. Yeah. If it wasn't for uh, 200 tries scored on uh, the uh, Sevens World Series between the two of you. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I've said it
3: for a long time that my brother basically made me play. Uh, and, you know, obviously
0: thankful for that. It led to moonlight in Canada, or is this for a long time? For the John, what was it like for you as a, as a young teenager, as as Dave was jet setting around the world and 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 getting it done for Canada as a captain? How did that influence your life?
1: Dave and I's family grew up quite close. Uh, our cottage, our first cottages we had, were right across the water. I kind of I can remember growing up there. So we were in a cove on Pigeon Lake in Ontario, and you could swim from my cottage across to Dave's cottage. So we kind of grew up. Every weekend, spending time with each other, and I kind of looked up to Dave and and watched him. You know that they go out and play a manhunt, and I'd be stuck going to bed or something, right? And he was talking about you know family events, shooting pucks in the basement. And so then when Dave kind of made it, it was a big deal. At that point, there was like the the Sundays where they would replay all the games, so you'd be able to see. I think it was like once or twice a month, you'd be able to see the games from the last term that the guys were at. So it was a big thing for myself or my family. We'd sit down, we'd watch. Couple games that they had been playing, you know, it was pretty awesome. It's pretty cool to be able to look up and and see what he was doing.
3: See, I remember very distinctly trying to convince him to come out. Um, you know, sort of knowing that at that time, I mean, still to this day, really. I mean, if you want to play rugby, you seem to have to be on the west coast for the most part. But you know, Junior was going to uh, Laurier, he was playing some rugby there. And I just started getting on him like, you got to get out here. This is this is the spot. You you got to get west. And um, you know, I what, what are we, Junior? I'm eight years older than you.
1: Yeah,
3: you used something. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, you know, I, I remember, like, <laughs> I remember bugging him, like, hey, like, finish at Laurier, get out here, like, this is where you need to be, and, like, I even remember saying, like, you know, you can live with me, but sort of feeling like, "Hey, ah, guy's probably not going to live with me, like, you know, he's going to be wanting to be doing different things than me, but he finally decided that he was going to going to come out, and when he moved out, he moved right in with us, and, and kind of went from there, so.
0: And who were you living with at that time, Dave?
3: Uh, BT, Brian Taylor. Uh, I think that he was
1: still there eh, junior uh he was you just left as i come back. It was a hurricane was living with us, oh, right, yeah, yeah, Kyle Haley you meet me hurricane and then uh Philly Mack and uh then we're right next door
3: oh yeah, Jamie Collins we're right next door yeah, yeah so we had a we had a bit of a rugby rugby household there, lots of guys that had played for canada and
0: and uh played rugby, so it was a pretty fun spot. Good environment for John. So Dave, what about you? What is it like uh, for you since you've obviously retired internationally and then see John fall in your footsteps. And and most recently, you know, the the first three years of the Vancouver sevens and VC play seeing, uh, seeing big John get it done.
3: Oh, uh, honestly, it, it was awesome. I mean, uh, it's funny, like funny story like just, just actually just this week, um, I'm a teacher, right? So we've been doing some online learning with our classes. So I, my assignment for my rugby class this week was having them watch, is uh, it 2016 when you guys won in Singapore? 16 or 17?
1: Uh, 17. 17. Yeah,
3: yeah, 2017 when they won in Singapore. That was that was their assignment was to have all those guys watch that. And, uh, I, you know, i said before, but it was one of the coolest things for me uh, was – having a conversation with junior not long before that tournament and junior telling me that he's like, we'll win one. We're like, we're going to win one this year. And, and then they, they did. you know, they, they go in and, uh, you know, beat us in the final, which is always nice beating the U S <laughs> yeah, yeah. uh, but, uh, beating the U S in the final. And then, you know, he, he did the interview afterwards and, you know, it wasn't surprised. He was like, you know, they, he knew that they were going to win. And that was so different than, I mean, I can be honest when, when I was playing and Robin, I don't know if you would agree, but I don't know if our belief was we'd ever win a tournament. We went to every tournament hoping we'd get into the top eight. And then, you know, if, if the, if the stars aligned, you know, see how we can do, but um, to actually believe that you're going to win and actually go and win one was, was unreal. So that was uh it was pretty cool for me to be able to watch that and, 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 and you know, talk about it and, and, and relive it when I watched it there the other, the other day.
1: We had a really good grouping at that point. I think that was um that was right when we had Damien come into the, the squad, and he really kind of brought that belief back into everyone. And that was one of the first, you know, few times when Garrett was around, we had a little bit of it. And then when Damien came in, he really kind of convinced us and made us believe that we could do it, we could show up. That was probably one of my favorite years of rugby, just playing around and then because we just, we were carefree. We, You know, there was disagreements with Rugby Canada right at the start of the year when it came to contract stuff. And we just wanted to show everyone that, you know, we had arrived and we were what we were fighting for was, and that wasn't anything that wasn't worth doing like that. You know, we were going to perform along and try and get what we were trying to do out of them. And that was, uh, that was an awesome year. It's,
0: it's interesting, you know, obviously following the the sevens program and, and as the moonlights know, it took me forever to actually get a play with Dave, but, uh, you know, until I think it was a year before I started, but Dave was part of a side that beat Fiji for the first time, you know, and, uh, and then John was part of a side that you know, it broke a lot of records, but I remember, uh, I think it was 2015, uh, John, you guys were in Japan and you guys upset New Zealand for the first time. And then since then, I think Canada's upset New Zealand, maybe 40, 40 to 60% of the time. And, uh, you know, now that you've you know, help them get over the hump of, of, of getting a title. Now it's now it's it's there for the taking, right? And uh, that that sense of belief coming in with a coach like Damien, that's been there and done it and won uh, World Series tournaments. Uh, that's I think that's all you guys needed to get over the get over the stigma of of, of being number one.
1: Yeah, and that photo of you guys uh, in Hong Kong is a pretty pretty iconic photo, and uh, it was one that was talked about. Uh, a few times I'm sure Dave and I had talked about it in that but like you know once you once you get past that I think I beat BG three or four times over the years I, I think I beat every team on the circuit pretty much at this point now uh, the guys just knocked off South Africa again. like once you get that confidence and you start building and the group was getting confident and was, there was no one that was going to really well sevens so is one of those games that anything can happen in a quick amount of time but like, you know we felt like every game we were going in we had a good chance of taking it down and actually performing, walking away. I
0: think it was Sterling Richmond that had the game winning try. And Dallin, you'd be thrilled because he was also wearing gloves when he scored the try. <laughs>
2: <laughs> He's never going to let this down. Oh,
3: <laughs> yeah, Sterling definitely wore gloves. That is a fact. <laughs>
2: Oh, good man, good man. Definitely my top three. Um, John, let's go back to to your sevens career. 65 tournaments on the series, a brilliant career, and you got to enjoy so many moments with players like Phil Mack and Nate Hirayama and Harry Jones. Can you delve a bit deeper into that time period when you guys you know, were taking over the world together?
1: When I first came in, Philly Mack was uh, was kind of leading the, the crew. Neat wasn't even back playing again. He was on his kind of year hiatus, and uh, they'd just gone through that... Um, the World Cup here, so Dave was pushing for it, and I, like, when I kind of just popped, into the game. we kind of missed each other. I played a tournament, Dave went on those turns right there, and then I didn't. Then I played again, he didn't hop in Um But from there, we kind of had a really good crew that kind of stuck around. Nate, Harry, Phil was there for a while, then Full of Foul, and that we had a, we had a really good group of guys that we kind of, I guess, you know, bonded and, and grew up together, and and really traveled the world. I mean, when you're young and in your twenties, everyone wants to travel. We were getting. Not a lot, but we were getting paid to travel the world and see these places and grow up and become. It is it's pretty surreal. You think about where you, places you'd be. You know, you, one day you'd be sitting in Hong Kong, next day you're in Singapore. Meanwhile, everyone back in Ontario is sitting under three feet of snow and you know just waiting for something so they can go outside. So you know, it was pretty awesome. I uh, I really I really enjoyed it. And um, you know, some of those guys are my best buddies still. I still talk to a of them here and there every couple weeks or a month or so.
3: I remember that with with, you know, with Junior because, uh, I'm sorry, he talked about how when he first got in, he was kind of in and out of the team a little bit. He had some uh, unfortunate uh, luck with injuries. Um, but there was a point there that there was like, it was like he, he flicked the switch. And uh, he really started taking it, taking it more seriously, I think, early on. And I, I think Junior would agree with me. Early on, he, he, obviously, he was excited to be playing for Canada, but I don't think he had the same... Uh, sort of drive to be to be the best and there was like a switch it went off and all of a sudden it, you know I, I don't know how many tournaments you played in a row after that first little bit but I would say bulk of them all happened in a row right unless you got unless you missed any
1: for injuries but I don't think you missed many injuries after your initial no I think um so I played that first tournament. I, I know exactly what you're talking about it was a conversation you and I had you called me up because we were I was out in the sauce or whatever with the guys and we were going away in a couple of days and you basically said to me what are you doing you realize the opportunity you have and what you're doing, what you where you could be in the world. And kind of was an eye opener for me. I think I ended up playing uh, rugby. Canada pulled me in for one thing when I was going to the 15s, but after that, I played like 50 tournaments straight, something like that. I Which is unreal. Kind of That's unreal. Right?
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I could have been. I could have been in the 60s. I think uh, had that not happened.
3: Yeah. It went from a guy that was always hurt to like you know he was the guy now, and he would be you know he'd come home from a tournament, and he'd be sort of saying to me privately like, oh this guy's like he's soft, like he's got to toughen up, right? Like, and, and he, you know, like I said, flick that switch and, you know, we weren't going to keep him off the field. Then you saw that in his play because he He was dominant.
2: You certainly did. Well, just my backstory with you guys is that, so I played for the U S 2007 was my first year I played for two or three seasons. And I remember playing against both of you individually, but then I was commentating more recent years. And still, when I see, you know, you check the program, a moonlight, I'm like, how many moonlights are there? Or is just, is just are there only two and have they played for decades. And that's kind of a testament to you guys. You've always been in the team and and kind of like the iron men of the side, I'll say, you know, so we had Todd Clever at the time. Well, you guys have one of the moonlights.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was, I was very fortunate too. Like I'd, uh, you know, I'd come home from trips or anything was going on that I wasn't certain. I was it was easy to sit and talk with Dave. You know, probably I'd say within me coming home within you know a day or two, I'd be over at Dave's and say, so we'd be talking about kind of how the tournament went, and what I thought, and things that happened. That it was it was nice to have that be uh, talk to someone about it because you know a, a lot of people. Thing that you know, when you're traveling the world and you're in all these nice places, you're getting to enjoy yourself and see it. But a lot of the time spent in your hotel room, you're, you're sitting, relaxing, or work not relaxing, but like waiting to play the game. You guys know, right? It's, you
3: guys all know hotels and practice fields, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: it's, it's, it's very grueling. So, you know, when you try and tell someone all oh, these, you know, this is what's going on, that they're like, Well, geez, you're sitting in, you know, you're sitting in South Africa right now, it can't be that bad. But you know, it was awesome to do it, but it was really nice having Dave to confide in. Talk about all that stuff after.
0: Yeah, well, that's a that's a big part why we you know we Dale and I put our heads together. So you know, young athletes out there that don't have a Dave looking over their shoulder, uh, they can they can learn some of your best practices. And and when we're young, uh, we need somebody older to kind of help guide us and keep us in line. And uh, I mean, Dave, being my captain through my uh, sevens career. You know, he didn't have to say much. He always led by example. And whether it was in training or game time. And Dave, you go back to, you know, that sense of belief. Dave's belief when he, at least what he portrayed to the team, the fire in his eyes and the way he would perform was that he could beat anybody. We could beat anybody. And uh, he was a testament to that. But uh, going back to that infamous name, I you couldn't have a better Canadian last name or a better hockey name than Moonlight. I just want to touch on... Uh, you know, although I had an opportunity to play with with Dave and one of his best friends, Mike Danskin, disc, old Disco Danskin. Those guys played both at the University of Victoria in Canada together, and whether it was somewhere on the west coast of Canada or somewhere in the world, they were they were magic together. And uh, every time uh, um, Danskin would score the, on the World Series, they would play. Uh, Dancing in the Moonlight, which we would tune into Danskin in the Moonlight. But uh, Dave, how was that chemistry for you and and just playing with somebody you're so well connected with? You
3: know, I knew Mike for a long time. We actually played like under 19 rugby together. So we'd known each other for a while and uh just had a kind of a yeah i wouldn't even know if it, at under 19 we were really buddies at that point but um, we just sort of you know your relationship kind of grows off the field through all the tra- all the time you spend training and yeah we just we sort of seem to have a, uh, a good chemistry on the field and yeah he's, he's a guy that we've kind of followed kind of similar paths right he's a teacher i'm a teacher and we both stay pretty active and it was funny our parents were, were friends too so um not long ago i think i've the Danskins and the Moonlights got together and they were watching some old, uh, some old sevens games. So um, it was pretty funny having them, having my my old man and, and, and Danskins old man having a, having a BS about uh, some of the old tournaments and they, you know, when they would come, when we play in LA, they would always come and they'd hang out, have a nice time. And uh, it was, it was good. It was good. Definitely one of
2: my good friends that I've had from rugby for sure. Speaking of the Moonlight, I do recall commentating a game and our director Canada was playing with calling the game and John had the ball or something and the, break in play and we zoomed in on him and then we panned up to uh the moon that was a beautiful image of it to us. so i don't know if you remember that john one of the games it was pretty oh, cool i you know? didn't hear the end of it
1: for a while <laughs>
2: <laughs> so let, let's switch to 15s uh in more recent times john you played in the first ever professional uh, league major league rugby in north america you represented toronto arrows for a bit what was that experience like and and what does it mean to have a professional 15 setup
1: yeah you know it was a fun experience it was kind of something um something for me to try uh, my leaving a rugby was really abrupt uh i got that, uh, the job sure two years today is, uh my official start date was you know i uh, i had to get up and walk away pretty quickly and i don't think i was quite ready to say goodbye to it all and uh so that was kind of another opportunity they gave me a chance when i could make it there i could come and train with them and do which games and that but I, I enjoyed it. It was fun to play there. We had a decent crowd in Toronto. I think like the highest was like thirty eight hundred or something like that. Uh, people came out to Lamport. It's tough though fighting with the the wolf Packs that they're kinda of ground here. They've got really good following. They're wanting people out and Bill Webb and them are doing great things. I think it'll hopefully keep growing as I knew eventually I had to I had to hang them up like at that point that last kind of season there the it broke me I think I played three full 80 minute games within eight days and that was the point I knew I was done I had to kind of worry about my own sanity I near the end I didn't really enjoy 15s at all I'm sure a lot of people knew this but I preferred to be on the seventh pitch more I always felt like we were more competitive it was just it was a more fun game to me so the, the last bit was fun but you know it wasn't exactly what I wanted them my body was feeling i knew it was
2: time to step away well you're still in amazing shape so would you play a social game every now and again or you you completely done with
1: rugby uh i made a little trip down to bermuda in november there was talk about maybe trying to make a sevens comeback i went down to la and played for uh the upright rogues i don't think it's i think that'll probably be the end for anything for me it's just even that two-day tournament my body's feeling a bit and i'm starting to think about other stuff in life you know i don't want to get hurt for like I'm looking at buying a new bike right now, right? Like, I want to enjoy that kind of stuff. I've always wanted to do uh, Ironman, so I'm kind of prepping to maybe do something like that. So. Well,
0: I don't think there's anything harder in your body than the Bermuda Classics. I went on one of those trips, and I, I took it easier than I think everybody, like absolutely everybody. I, I hit out from the team just, just to not... Ruined my entire life. And Those guys are those guys are weapons, and then they get out, and you get to go play. But I, I was just like a kid, though. Is this rolling subs down? Have you been down? Uh, no, not yet. Been invited, but, but been too scared to go. There, there's 60-minute games. You're rolling subs. It's like hockey subs. And uh, I didn't sub off once because I'm just like a kid. I want to be on the field. But, uh, but yeah, there's some there's some professionals off-fielders, best, best experience going. Uh, well, I'm going to put you both on the spot here, and uh, we'll go with seniority first. Dave, who is your best roommate ever on tour, and why?
3: Oh wow, uh, yeah. When I looked at these questions earlier, uh, I was trying to—I uh, was trying to think of my best roommate, and I was trying to think of some funny stories. But uh, I, I, it sounds—it sounds silly, but I—I I can't think. I can't pick a, a single guy. I, I, we had—I had so many good teammates. You know, a guy like Kyle Haley and Mendeskin that we mentioned, and a guy like M- Neil Meachin. And some of these guys are—you know—they're still buddies. I'm still buddies with, and still close with. So obviously I uh, enjoy, you know, spending time with them. But you know, most of our coaches you, you know, you sort of switch up who you're rooming with every week anyways. And I I can't really remember having anybody that I was really hiding from or, or really wanting to have. So we had a pretty good team chemistry for the most part, I think.
0: And I don't I don't think anybody get out of hand rooming with the captain
1: anyway. They're <laughs> too afraid. Uh John, John, how about you? I room with everyone. I was the same thing, kinda of rotated my uh one of my favorite roommates, I only ever roomed with him once, was uh, Tony lecart I had him uh, my first tournament in Hong Kong. And, uh, you know, he uh, he can be quite the character off the field and that stuff. Got, got any stories there. for us? Oh, nothing. Nothing I can speak of. <laughs> right now that I can think of speaking of. But, uh, no, he was Tony was awesome. I just really enjoyed my time with him. he helped get me prepared for the tournament and that. And then, yeah, off the field, he was just... Uh, he's just a character right like a funny guy all the
3: time when i talked to robin earlier today we both he, well he mentioned about tony being his worst roommate and i would put no. i would put tony on the, the worst roommate category too I, I still play hockey with tony and uh he, he's definitely the stinky guy he gotta stay away from his hockey bag it stinks
1: <laughs> yeah i was still young right i guess i didn't, uh, didn't get too many times with the old tone
0: oh, it's a mess man these guys gear was a mess like <laughs>
1: Yeah, but that's what all the kids these days are like, man. You walk into a hotel room with any of these young guys now and there's stuff everywhere. I always Rob, you gotta the- tell
3: you- Rob, you gotta tell your story about how he sleeps. Yeah, tell so
0: we had here yeah I'm on here a few few weeks ago, and uh yeah, his best roommate was Key because it was his it was his first roommate as well. I don't know if that was like an initia- initiation for those coaches back in the day. But yeah, my worst one was Tony and and, and I love Tony for sure, but we all got sick in Hong Kong or half the team got sick in Hong Kong and, and Dave and I got sick on the way to Singapore. I remember being at dinner at Singapore the first night we got there and I kind of threw some symptoms out to the boys that already had it. And they're like, yeah, you're going to get it. So anyway, I wake up in the middle of the night, first night in Singapore. I don't know where I am. Still hurting from the, the last night in Hong Kong. And uh, I wake up in the middle of the night, flick on the light, and there's, there's Tony with his arms crossed and his mouth wide open and his eyes half open and he's, and he's, he's asleep. I've never been more freaked out in my life. So the rest of the week I, I slept with the light on because I was just frightened of, of, of tea. But uh, I room with him again in Edinburgh and he was, he was good humor. Yeah. I had a
3: funny, funny story, and it's sort of fitting to what, what's
0: going on now with the pandemic.
3: Um, when we were in uh, Hong Kong in two thousand three, is when the, the SARS thing was going on. So we're in Hong Kong. We're supposed to be going to Beijing the following week, but they, you know, mid midweek uh, in Hong Kong, they we're going to cancel. They canceled Beijing. Anyways, we play the tournament, usual Hong Kong tournament, same crowd as always, and everything else. First time tour for Christoph Strugman in hong kong during the harsh the sars uh, pandemic i guess I, I don't know if that was a pandemic too but it, either way nothing really seemed to change in hong kong uh so we play our tournament we know we're not going to beijing the next week so we he- head out to the to the local uh, nightclubs after the fact christoph on his first tour ends up in a hong kong hospital on an iv because he like <laughs> p- p- passed out in a cab <laughs> and uh and he you know he gets back to the hotel in the morning again, the SARS thing's going on. He's like, I was in a hospital in Hong Kong during the SARS, I had to like pull out his IV and like ran out of the hospital to get back. So he didn't like miss his flight to back home the next day. So it was pretty funny. Wow, I don't man. know if Christoph will like me telling that story, but it's pretty funny.
2: Well it's kind of good telling stories about other people's your you main calm, they're the ones that get shredded on the right. cast. I love it. Wow, that that's pretty crazy. I've heard of crazy <laughs> stuff, but that's that's pretty scary indeed. Let's uh, let's switch gears to your favorite try you ever scored and it could be sevens or fifteens, and we'll start with you, John.
1: Oh geez. <laughs> this, this is this stuff. tough. I mean got to I that winner in Vancouver. That that was big, yeah, but it, like it wasn't for anything crazy. Uh there's one against Fiji uh in Wellington actually that stands out. Because BG were knocked down into the bowl. We were playing them in the bowl final. I kind of see their attitude as they were walking around. like They just felt like they were going to walk over us. And uh, I can remember making a break down the sideline. This is kind of when I was first coming into myself and feeling like I was a player. And I got a good stiff arm in on one of the guys right in the middle of the chest and ran around. And uh, that would probably would probably be up there as probably one of the top ones for their... Uh, yeah, that one in Vancouver. I mean, that's, the commentators uh, seem to sell me pretty well on that. Absolutely. I mean, the crowd erupted. Yeah. Everyone's going berserk.
2: Those are iconic moments that'll stay with uh, you know not only with you, obviously being so close to the action, but everyone else that was there. You know. And how about yourself, Dave?
3: I I got to go back to the my very first uh, my first try and sort of kind of a funny story to go along with it. My very first try came at my second tournament. First tournament was in Brisbane, 2003. Second tournament was in Wellington. First game in Wellington, playing Fiji, score a try. While well, scoring the try, break my hand. So like, continued. You know, we didn't know it was broken. We just sort of were we're dealing with it. Played the rest of the tournament. Like again, was sort of like my my first real tournament. Uh, had a great tournament. Like I think I ended up scoring like I think I might have scored eight tries that tournament, which I don't think I, I was. I don't think I ever scored eight tries in a tournament again. But did it well after I broke my hand. And then so after the tournament, we get x-ray find out my hand is broken like kind of get home have to have surgery and try to rush to get back so I didn't miss the next tournament so the first try was pretty memorable
0: well Dave you scored more tries in your first tournament than I did my entire
2: career so uh, <laughs> it's not too bad with a broken hand same for me actually. So, you know, for us, it's easy to pick our favorite try because there's so few. Dave, let's stay with you. You played both 15s of course, and, and, and sevens, but what drew you more to sevens uh, and becoming the first Canadian to score hundred tries on the series?
3: Junior talked about it before uh, earlier there, but just uh, the fact that you get to, you travel the world, you play in all these, these cool places in front of big crowds. I think I enjoyed the, the fact that on any given day we can, we could beat, we could beat anybody. And we did, you know, we beat some, we beat some big teams. This is, I guess, my 15s bias, but I think it would be, like, an absolute miracle for Canada to knock off one of the top, you know, three countries in the world, right? It's just not going to – in an 80-minute game, I, I can't see it happening. Uh, so, that, I think that – I really enjoyed that. Uh, going on a few 15s tours, it just wasn't the same. Different different group of guys. I was, I think I was frustrated because you go on a 15s tour or you go on a sevens tour, you know, what you're going to play everybody on the, on the roster is going to play minutes. You go on a 15s tour, you might dress one game or start one game. And then the next game you might not dress. Uh, and that happened to me a couple of times or, you, you know, you don't dress and that's a long week when you're just, uh, you know, you're training every day and know you're not going to be playing or even putting on your uniform. So after kind of a couple of years, kind of with 15s, it was like, yeah, i uh, I'm, I'm quite happy playing sevens and and just
0: playing sevens listeners out there. So in our, in our playing days, we only had Dave nowadays. They have, they've got guys like John that are big, strong and fast and they can play six games in a weekend back then we would just give the ball to Dave or Dave would have to make the tackle, get the, get the ball and then go 90 meters. And we'd hope he'd, he'd make it over the line. Cause none of us could catch up to him. Yeah, uh, Literally. I don't know how finish. you remember it that way. I, I certainly wasn't going 90 meters, man. No way. <laughs> well, it was 89 meters when you didn't make it, but uh, either way, we could barely see it. Um, and then, yeah, nowadays, I mean, they got so many horses well conditioned machines, but uh, poor Dave, he literally, I mean, he's selfless and humble, but I remember being on the other end of the field, just going like, I wish I could be there. And then he would have to play six games. So by the time we get to the business end of the tournament, we'd almost played him out because we had nobody go on for him. But Dave, you really set the platform for your younger cousin there. And, and just to transition back to John here. So you've played in 15s and 7s, World Cups, Commonwealth Games, a couple Pan Am game, Golds. What is what is your favorite moment or favorite few moments in a Canadian jersey?
1: Uh, number one is obviously winning that tournament. Um, you know, Dave, and I I said before, Santa Juan win, I think. There was a quote actually, I uh, mean, Patrick Johnson had it in one of his articles saying that uh, I wanted to win a tournament before I could kind of walk away. And then it happened right, two months later or whatever. So that, that was obviously a big moment for me. A lot of it was kind of the off-field stuff. I really enjoyed it a lot. We had a, such a good group of guys that, you know, we come home from tour, and do with these guys for two and a half weeks. And next you know, you're hanging out with them, you know, at a coffee shop the next morning or whatever, right? Like I, those were probably kind of the highlights for me. Uh, our third place, or sorry, not third place, second place in Scotland, when we made our first final, that was a pretty big one. I know we got a shellacking from New Zealand there, but uh, that was kind of a, a turning point for us. That was with Garen. He actually left after that tour. He went over to England, and then he went down to Australia. It was kind of a turning point for us that we realized that we could kind of compete. So those would be kind of the two major spots for me. Dave, how about for you?
3: Highlights, I, I think the 2003, <coughs> beating Fiji and Hong Kong when we beat uh, a really memorable one for me was when we beat uh, South Africa in LA and sort of in front of our, our families and, f- and friends and that there was a, a kind of an interesting uh, game there. Cause we beat South Africa. I think our next game was Samoa. We lost to Samoa. Yeah. We, you were at that one. Yeah. And then we had to play Mexico. Yeah. And then with Mexico, we get, you know, it's like we're looking at to, to get through to the cup round in front of our families. We have to put 70 on Mexico. You know, we're all sort of fired up to try and accomplish that. We, you know, kick off Mexico scores to go up. And we're all kind of looking at each other like, holy, we got a long way to go here. And uh, it just started one-way traffic. And I was like one of the tiredest I've ever been in that game. We were just uh, score spread back pick off get it back score 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 and we ended up uh we ended up i think it might have been seventy-six-five. i think it might have been
0: 80
3: 5 oh man you had a better memory than me but yeah we ended up getting a getting the 70 and then getting into the uh into the cup round in front of our family so it was uh that 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 was a pretty pretty fun weekend um 2006 commonwealth games um just the commonwealth games experience was unreal for me we had sort of Targeted Scotland as being the team that we really wanted to beat. We've been watching game tape and really sort of focused on trying to beat that team, and, and we we
0: we beat them, which was which was which was awesome to beat them on that stage. We had uh, we had Clark Laidlaw, who is the current All black sevens coach, and he was in that side. So uh, we were we were sharing stories about that, how Dougie, Doug Tate had that one play over the top with Danskin cutting the yeah. first receiver in half, and and uh, that was the only only trick Doug ever pulled out of his sleeve. And and uh, and of course it was it was pure gold. But going back to that that Mexico upset, so we beat we beat South Africa, South Africa beats Samoa, Samoa beats us, and of course South Africa and Samoa put a lick on mexico and uh so we yeah like dave said we had to put over 70 points on him. we didn't score until five minutes into the game so that if you do the math that's nine minutes 87 points in nine minutes i was one of the only guys that stayed on the field alan and i didn't score a try so uh, just give the ball
2: to the athletes and dave had a field day it was it was unbelievable yeah those
0: are a couple of good memories
2: John, let's uh, let, let's talk a bit about you playing a decade on a series or longer. Uh can you tell us about your your how you evolved as a player, you know, when you first started out to to being an absolute versatile powerhouse playing every second, you know, in, in the last bit of your career.
1: I never actually saw myself as a sevens player. So that trial that Robin had mentioned, the only reason I was out there was Doug Tate kinda gave me the hey, you should kinda go over here, this would be a good fit for you and that. And so I went out, kinda started it all I had a really good speed test. Good fitness score, and that kind of kickstarted myself getting involved with it while I went and trained with the national program got myself in the sevens. When I first came in, I didn't, you know, you look up to players, looking at like Kleeberger was playing my position at that point, Chauncey O'Toole had just come in kind of the same tournament as me, he was playing really well. There was a lot of good players, and I never really put myself kind of on par with them, and it wasn't until I started kind of believing in myself and and then pushing that I actually started getting get myself a starting position on the squad. And I was uh, a couple of years into it that, uh, that actually got myself start the game's changing so much. though so every day you look at it is so much faster. People are so much bigger. Uh, I was watching the, that tournament down in LA when I was there. And, uh, some of the guys, even like Harry and Nate look like they're, you know, five, 10 pounds heavier than they were before. My game was always simple. I just kind of wanted what I was doing on the field to speak for itself. I didn't, uh, I think I hate losing more than I ever like winning at anything. Uh, pretty much anything. can't remember the last time I played Dave in Squash because he would have absolutely put me in the box these days. So that really drove me and it pushed me out there. I'm sure you could see in game film, I never gave up in a play. I was always chasing fear. And that's what I kind of uh, lived for playing was that I, was, I knew I was going to be fitter than the guy across from me and that I wasn't going to give up and I was going to do what I could to make sure that we won.
3: I think with with Junior, one of the things that was interesting is he was one of those guys that, you know, obviously he was a stalwart on the sevens team, regular on the sevens team, but the 15s teams wanted him. But he's a guy that uh, you know, I always believed that to do what they wanted him to do in 15s was taken away from his sevens because they always wanted him to get bigger, 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 get bigger, get bigger, right? And, uh, you know, and I think, you know, if Junior had, have, you know, got as big as they wanted him to get, he maybe, you know, he potentially loses some of that, that speed and explosiveness that he, that made him such a you know, a beast in sevens, right?
1: I like to call it slow speed. makes it look like you're going slow, but somehow it passed away. I don't know how it works. Let's touch on a little
2: bit, uh, some of the challenges that you faced uh, individually as as in your career. So Dave, we start with you. Any challenges you had to overcome? Well, I guess I I, uh, I guess it's a challenge
3: because it's what I see, what those guys do and what Junior would tell me what their, what their training looked like. Um, you know, those guys were in a fully professional training environment where... In my time, when we were playing, you you basically played sevens on weekends where you'd you have a camp before you go away for, for your two tournaments, and then you'd get back and, you know, you were expected to be at Tuesday or Thursday practice to play 15s with your club team. So that was a challenge, right? Because, again, as I'm saying with junior, like the, the transfer over from sevens to 15s is, is big. Um, and I remember going back to UVic after, you know, after sevens, uh, and some of the guys were – we're kind of talking about that because, you know, I think the year before we, some of the sevens guys that came back and came back for our playoff game and the sevens guys didn't play very well, but again, we were all expected to to come and play 15. So that was definitely a challenge. Uh, I love sevens. I, I would have just, I would have absolutely loved to do it. What junior did and been a, a full-time sevens player, not half. As much as I, say, I enjoyed my 15s playing 15s with my clubs, sevens hundred percent would have wish I could have been in that, that professional environment.
0: You were a big part of, you know, what, what led that environment to make that challenge, or sort of make that transition into a full-time environment. So, I mean, we always want to leave it better than when we got it and we always want better for the next generation. So you're, you know, you're a big, big piece of that. So John, what about you? What were some challenges that you had overcome?
1: I mean, over the years, there was always when David kind of touched on the fact that injuries, when I first started, I Seemed I just stared at something and I end up hurting my back or something. I broke my leg in there, shoulder, and I think I broke my hand three times within nine months or something like that. Uh, so kind of once I got over that, there was a draw to go overseas. I had a, opportunity, to, especially after the World Cup in 2015, there's team sending kind of stuff, but that never really pushed me. One of the toughest things we had to kind of get over was um, when they brought in the Milton. It kind of fractured the the team quite a bit. It took quite a bit of work between guys and all of us trying to get it back to where it was with Damien. That, that was probably the toughest thing that we, uh, we had to get over. I got put in some pretty tough positions over the years and or over that year, and uh, it was tough. It was it was hard for everyone involved in that and the whole program. And you know, there was at points there I think I was close to walking away from it all, and uh, you know, I'm glad I didn't at the time, but you know. Things happen we moved on from them. The team was obviously better than
0: that. And, John, I got a, I got a question. Do you have the same taste in music as your older cousin? You guys have a lot in common,
1: but you guys got the same taste in music. No chance. Not a chance. <laughs> you know what? He's had, he had me go to a couple metal concerts, and I'd, I'd be, I I'd was wearing khakis once at a metal concert, I remember. We were sitting in the car waiting. Uncle William and them were supposed to, uh, Jamie and them were supposed to come meet us. And I remember you saying something like, "What are you wearing?" And I was wearing like, yeah, khaki pants going into this concert. No, I wasn't not quite mine. I'll listen to anything but that. Basically.
0: I don't. I don't think but I well, would have been able. I wouldn't been able to sleep uh, after that concert. I don't think. All metal, all the time. We were we were in LA after the LA Sevens before I the year before I played for Canada and uh, Dave and Disco and some of the guys that were in the team we watched them at the LA Sevens and then they jumped in the in the university bus because they're also students at Uvic and then we, we had we'd a bit of a California tour and uh, and Doug Tate legendary Doug Tate he had back then it was it was you'd burn CDs so Doug burnt I think fourteen different CDs and he just downloaded every song with the word California. So you would have crazy graphic rap right to, you know, the beach boys and and the, the the whole focus of this 14 day trip driving was that nobody could hit. You couldn't, you couldn't change the song and Doug just had it cranked. Doug, that's the kind of guy he is. But anyhow, there's Dave with his headphones on his big earmuffs and then his hood over all black, everything. And, uh, I was just, you know, after day four, I was like, Dave, like, what's going on in there? I want to listen to what he's just dead serious. You don't want to do it. Like you just, you do not want to know it. I put it on. and I took it off. I was like, uh, no wonder he's such an intense guy and such an intense player, but uh, yeah, he's got
2: a different taste in
0: music than this cowboy.
2: Guys, uh, I want to close out on my side. Um, We'll leave the music for one moment, but for all the young kids, the aspiring sports and rugby players out there, young boys and girls, what advice would you give to them? They're about to start their journey. Uh, Dave, we'll start with you.
3: I get to work with a lot of these young, you know, these young people being being uh, a high school coach, and it's just hard work, honestly. A junior, I think, is a pretty good testament to that. How hard he worked um, to have such a long, long career. I, I sort of tell my guys all the time that you got to get reps, you got to have the ball in your hands, uh, and you, you got to be fit. Nobody's going to give you anything, and uh, I try to get my my high school guys to play as much sevens as they can, because again, I think that even if they end up playing 15s later on. The skills that they're going to get from sevens is is, is crucial to being a good rugby player. So the catch pass, tackling in space, uh, running in space, footwork, all those sorts of things, I think, are, are key rugby skills. And uh, they transfer over to whatever whatever sport you're going to – or, you know, whatever code of rugby you're going to decide to play. But you're not getting anywhere without the hard work.
1: Brilliant. And you, John? I, I think I just tell kids not to um... – I think, especially when they're young, not to just focus on one sport. You know, you might love playing rugby or something like that, but you got to play everything. There's so much to learn. You can burn out so quickly if you just focus on one thing. A lot of people used to ask me in my career, oh, you see this game or this super rugby game? And I'd be so tired of it, you know, after a day of training and looking at our game film and that, that I couldn't even watch any more rugby. You know, when I was younger, I never thought that rugby was going to be like, I was like every other kid in Ontario who thought he was going to play in the NHL, right, and playing hockey and, I play in all the, any other sport I could, I was doing that. Making sure that you're, you're playing everything you can and then you can focus as you get older and, and hone in on what you like and what you enjoy. We got to do a better job, I think, on, well, maybe not just Ontario, but all in Canada, creating a pathway for these kids. and getting a lot of kids now that are contacting me and saying, how can I make it? What do I have to do to get there? You know, should I be going to university? Should I be trying to get into an MLR team? I want to play sevens. Should I be playing for this kind of invitational team? And... The pathway, I know they say there's a pathway right now for kids, but the pathway is uh, is not a, a straight line. There's no streamline for anyone in the pathway. and We need to make it easier for a kid to, to kind of know, like if he wants to get seen, a young guy that's playing sevens and doesn't really want to play 15s, if he wants to play sevens, get seen. Well, this is where you can go. If you do this, you might get seen, get seen here. And that's going to be something that has to be straightened out kind of from the the upper end down, I believe.
2: That's a great point, especially the ones that are watching your, you know, 2017 championship run, you know, in the sevens and things like that. You're aspiring a a new generation. Well, what I want to thank you guys so much. We have a record on our podcast today. 230 tries scored between us four. But what I will say is two, 223 were between the two moonlights. So, really, such a pleasure, such an honor to have you guys on. Thanks very much for having us.
1: Yeah, it's
2: a awesome. awesome. You guys are absolutely sensational. Appreciate the time, guys, and keep safe that side. And really good to, to catch up uh, finally in a friendly setting, not in the war zone, on the rugby field. <laughs> yeah.
0: Thanks very much, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks a yeah. lot, boys. Cheers. Take Thanks. care.
2: Thank you for listening, you sleek
0: sensations. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Rugby Hive podcast and catch us
2: on all the socials at Rugby Hive. We appreciate your support. Be safe out there and we'll see you soon.